Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, my name is Pastor Davis. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the pastors here at Corner, and I'm super excited we get to open up God's Word today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3 today. Luke chapter 3. Now, if you notice, I am standing today. I wasn't riding around on a little scooter everywhere, so that feels good. Um, I finally went back to the doctor. I got my x-rays and CT scans, and it turns out it's not a sprain. It's been broken the whole time. So uh, that's been a fun bit of knowledge for me. So pray for me, actually. I go to the doctor on Tuesday uh, up in Holland, and they're going to decide if I need surgery or not. We're doing some follow-up x-rays and all of that. So that's the next step. Um, it hasn't been good. In fact, I'd give it zero stars. Would not recommend. Not been a great time. Um, but back to Luke. Luke chapter 3. Uh, we'll be in verses uh, 15 through 38 today. Uh, but I want us to look down at verse 21 and 22. Uh, and if you are a note taker, uh, the title of today's message is The Anointing of a King. The Anointing of a King. Let's look at verses 21 and 22. It says this. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, and he said, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I just want to thank you for all the truths we get to talk about today. I thank you for setting your son. Take our place. God, I want to pray for just all of us in here this morning. We all come from very different backgrounds, very different stories. And God, no matter where we come from, you are our cure. Maybe there's people in here this morning, we've lived our church our entire life. You are still our cure. You save us from our religiousness. Maybe people are in here today and this is their first time ever in a church ever. You save them too. Help us see our need for you today. Help us see you new. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, when we opened up in the beginning of chapter 3, uh, we were talking about John the Baptist, and we've been reintroduced to him. Um, it, almost 30 years have passed since we first met John. When we first, last saw him, uh, he was just being born. He was just a little baby with Elizabeth and Zechariah. But now that this time has passed, he's no longer with them. He's out in ministry. In fact, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah were probably estimated to be in their 70s or 80s when they had him. So 30 years have passed. They are probably long gone at this point. And John's out doing ministry. And what we learned about John is that he was a bit of an eccentric. A little, that's like a lightly way to put it. His clothing consisted wholly of uh, camel's hair. Uh, and then his diet consisted of uh, locusts and wild honey. Like, this guy was weird, even in Jesus' day. He's kind of weird. Um, but even more eccentric was his message. 
See, John wasn't just out there speaking to Jewish people, which would have been the normalcy of the time. John was out there talking with Jewish people. He was talking with Samaritans. He was talking with Roman soldiers that were coming by. He didn't care who it was because he knew he was the forerunner for a kingdom that was coming that didn't care where you came from. It was for all people. And last week when we saw John... He was baptizing. He was out in the wilderness. He was uh, baptizing people in the Jordan River. He was talking about this kingdom that was to come. And it was, ta- and it was attracting a crowd. And what was interesting about that crowd, it wasn't just filled with people who were curious about this crazy dude in the wilderness. They didn't see a live stream on Instagram. We're like, that guy's weird. I got to see this. They were interested in his message. In fact, uh, in, in, in Luke chapter 3, we see that a revival is actually taking place. There's people from all walks of life that are coming out. There's spiritually hungry people that are coming out. They're hearing John speak, and they're confessing their sin, and they're uh, repenting of their sin, and they're being baptized. And you have Roman soldiers who are probably out there at first be like, what in the world is this guy saying? And they're out there, and they're like, we've done wrong too. We need to change too. And they're asking how they can change. And you have Samaritans out there asking, the same question. You have uh, religious leaders that are out there that are being convicted of their religiousness, and there's all this stuff going on. There's a commotion, which leads us to our verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. The interesting thing here is that John is out here. He's speaking with so much authority and so much fervor and so much uh, with uh, conviction that people automatically immediately start wondering if John is actually the Messiah they've been waiting for their entire lives. Is this the guy? We might think that's a little strange, but we have a tendency to do that too, don't we? We have a tendency to worship our celebrities. We live in our TikTok and Instagram and uh, in YouTube influencer age. We have all these people, these voices we listen to through our podcasts and through our headphones, and we are attracted to confidence, aren't we? If someone's talking confidently about a subject, we're, we're attracted to that. In fact, we have a tendency to worship the people we submit to. And that's what's happening to John. People are going out. They're confessing their sin. They're seeing life change happen. Strongholds that have been there for years and years and years are being broken down. And the first place that everybody goes to is, is this the Messiah that we're supposed to be looking for? But John's very quick to fix his thinking. 
In fact, he says, I might be baptizing you with water. I might be doing all these things and calling you to repentance. He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm talking about the Christ. I'm talking about there is a Messiah that is coming. And when he comes, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. And he's going to baptize you too. But he's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit because he is making something new. See, John's baptism was something that was external only. It connected to the people of the time, the people who were religious. But John is making very clear that true religion was not just an external washing but a Savior was coming to clean the inside of people. See, Jesus was coming to fix our brokenness, not put a religious mask over it. And that was the problem of the time. It's also the problem in our day. People become filled with all this head knowledge of what they're supposed to think, of of truths that are good things, but they never let that truth uh, assimilate down into their heart to let it change actually the way how they treat people or how they interact with our own sin, or how we interact with God. Address our pain. We'd rather just mask it with religion. And John says, this religion stuff is good. This is not wrong stuff, but he says this Messiah that's coming, he wants all of you. In fact, he demands all of you. In fact, he'd go so far to say that Jesus is not interested in your outward morality on Sunday when everyone sees you. He wants your inward holiness when you are alone. How many of you have ever heard that saying before, uh, who you are when you're alone, that's who you really are, or some iteration of that? Jesus didn't come to make you churched up. He came to deal with the raw, broken sin-infused hearts that are in all of us. I think that's why a lot of times people leave the church today. We have a lot of churches that have good intentions, but we come and we get this really good outward shell of good truths, but we don't do anything to address the deep gnawing pain and problems that are deep within us. And that's the thing that Jesus came to address. In fact, in our passage we were reading there a couple seconds ago, it says Jesus here is coming with a winnowing fork. Anybody know what a winnowing fork is? A few people? It's like a pitchfork. And it's used for when you're uh, separating wheat from chaff. It allows the wheat to stay and the chaff to fall off and be separated. Or in Jesus' analogy, true religion fake religion. The kingdom that Jesus was going to be bringing was ta- when John was talking about wasn't going to be for the religious people who sat in pews their entire life and played church. Jesus' kingdom was not to make a people to be, that were nice to be around. He was after a whole new type of person. I think we have to say that again because we do this a lot, we talk about this a lot, but I think the greatest problem in our churches today is that we have a people that have inoculated themselves with enough religion to become church attenders, but it stops there. It doesn't change the way we live on Monday and Tuesday. 
Jesus wasn't interested in a group of people with all the right answers. He wasn't interested in a group of people that were his fan club. He wasn't even interested in uh, making you just vote the right way or have certain political signs in your yards. He's not even interested in what you think the best version of yourself is. He's interested in making you like himself. We have this uh, mosaic thing up here. And uh, we talk about, in our video, about the uh, purpose of Luke is that we're studying and get a picture of who Jesus is. Not just the pieces we like, not just the pieces that make us feel good, but the pieces of uh, who Jesus actually is. And we're not just studying that so that uh, we can understand and do a character study and know who Jesus is, but we are studying that because we're called to emulate that. We're called to become that. Become like him. And that's what John was talking about. And ultimately, that message got him in trouble. If you look at that last section we, we covered there just a couple minutes ago uh, on verse uh, uh, tw- uh, 20, I believe, 19 and 20. It says, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. He makes a time jump here. I think this, this piece that we just read actually takes six place six months later after uh, Jesus' uh, baptism. But um, John was uh, bold with everyone, not just in the wilderness, but he's also bold in the king's courts. In fact, he went up to the governor of Herod, who was having an affair with his brother's wife, and he says, hey, bro, this ain't right. You got to stop this. And Herod's like, I'd rather not, and he threw John in prison. Um, and that's where we last we see of John actually for a little while, and we'll, we'll see him a little bit later again. But what Luke is doing here with this uh, out of place, it looks like a hiccup almost in the middle of the passage, is he's talking about a transition. See, up until this point, John is the one that's been out there. John's the one doing the ministry. John's the one doing the baptizing. John's the one talking about the kingdom. And now Luke is telling us that John's ministry is coming to an end. The forerunner of Jesus has come to an end. And Jesus' ministry is here to start. Jesus' ministry is what's going to happen next. We get to see Jesus and John interact. And the really interesting thing about this passage is this is the only place in the scriptures outside of when they were in the womb that Jesus and John interact. This is the only time we see it. Now, I'm sure they knew each other growing up. They were family after all. But this is the only time we get to see their interaction at Jesus' baptism. In fact, take a look down at your text again in verse 21. Now, when all the people who were baptized And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice called from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now this event here where Jesus is baptized right here is really interesting because all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them cover it. Now, that may not seem really uh, crazy, uh, but what's interesting is all the four of these Gospels are written for very different purposes. Matthew was primarily written to a Jewish audience, people who had a, a deep understanding of Jewish culture. 
Uh, Mark was probably the first gospel that was written, and it was written, it's the shortest gospel. It was written, uh, some years had passed, about 20 years had passed, and they're like, we need to write this stuff down. Jesus isn't coming back. We need to write this down. And then Luke was written uh, for a uh, Greek. It's more historical. And then John was written because um, it was more of, of a general for all audience group. Very different purposes. But uh, what's interesting is all of these Gospels, they don't contradict one another, but they cover very different stories. It's very uncommon for all four Gospels to cover the same story. The crucifixion is one, Peter's denial is one, and Jesus' baptism. There's a couple others. All the Gospel writers saw this as a core memory. How many of you have ever seen Inside Out? By Disney, they are in little like headquarters, and the little core memory rolls it down. It's like new core memory. Okay, this is a core memory of Jesus. This is a key moment in Jesus's ministry, and they all cover different uh, amounts of this event. In fact, I like Matthew's uh, version of it the best. If you want to flip over with me to Matthew chapter three, real quick, Matthew covers this. He provides a really interesting detail about what we just read. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. He says this. Then Jesus came up from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to be baptized by me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So I think it's important for us to get this scene that's happening. You have John in the wilderness. He's probably waist deep in the Jordan River, which is this murky river that wasn't super, super clean. It was kind of like the Kalamazoo River, right? It's just kind of like there. Uh, and there's like a little like body floating by, right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and he's out there doing, he's preaching, probably preaching from the water. And you have all these crowds around him and they're, they're, they're confessing sin. You're pe- having people come forward and they're confessing addiction. They're confessing affairs. They're confessing anger and lust and wrath and jealousy. And all these things are happening. And John's probably baptizing, baptizing them left and right, and all this stuff's happening. It's a commotion. And it's this moment where you see Jesus come on the scene, and probably from the back of the crowd, I picture him kind of weaving through, his feet touch the water. I picture John doesn't see him because of how many people are out here. And he, Jesus makes his way to John, and I picture John kind of baptizing, coming up, and turns around, and Jesus is right there. And I bet John expected that Jesus was going to start helping him baptize. He was going to start uh, helping him be able to uh, uh, do this ministry. They were supposed to be partners after all. But Jesus says something shocking to him. He says, John, I want you to baptize me. I want you to baptize me. And John doesn't want to. He literally has God six inches from his face, the guy that made him. He's like, I don't deserve to baptize you. Dude, you need to baptize me. If any, I'm not, allowed, I'm not even supposed to touch your sandals, bro. Like, I'm not even worthy to do that, and you want me to baptize you. In fact, in John's eyes, Jesus getting baptized by him would be beneath Jesus. 
And the reason for that is that this baptism that John is doing is for repentance. They're not out there just having a good time. People are coming, they're confessing their sin, they're repenting, and they're getting baptized. That's the baptism that Jesus is submitting to, one for repentance. And is it because Jesus sinned? No, Jesus never sinned. He was God. But what Jesus is doing in this moment is that even at the beginning of his ministry, he is accepting his call. He's accepting his mission of taking on our sin. He's stepping into the water of obedience to his Father by humbling himself. This means that at the very beginning, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew his commission. And he knew it was going to cost him everything. And at this moment, this moment of Jesus' humiliation in the water, it says that the, the Trinity actually shows up. We as Christians, we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even though the scriptures never use the word Trinity, we see evidence of it throughout the scriptures. And this is one of those moments where we actually see all three interact. We see God the Father and the the initiator of creation, the initiator of Jesus' work and God's will everywhere. We see him in the voice saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. We see God the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove, the sanctifier, the helper, the comforter, the ones who leads us to God. And we see God the Son in Jesus, the one who is the agent of God's will. We see all of them unify in this moment at the start, the commencement of Jesus' mission. In fact, you want to look down in your text a little bit at verse 23 through verse 38. I'm not going to read it all. If you're going to look down there in just a second, you're going to see why. There's like 77 names that I can't pronounce. We look down at this text and you see a genealogy. It's the generations from when Jesus was born all the way back to Adam. And what what, uh, Luke is communicating in this passage is he's saying, these are all the generations, these are all the people that have been waiting for this moment that we see at Jesus' baptism. Generation after generation of God coming to these people and saying, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The one who's going to set you free from your sin, he's coming. Generation after generation after generation after generation. In verse 23, he began his ministry. It's here. The time has come. No longer is this a future thing. This is a present thing. See, not only is a baptism taking place here, This is the anointing of a new king. This is Jesus saying, I am submitting to the Father's will in my life no matter what it costs me, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, no matter what cost it pulls from me. I'm all in. See, unlike us, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how long we have here. I could walk out of church this morning, get in my car, and a, a tractor falls from the sky and just squashes me. Highly unlikely, but it could happen, right? We don't know. Jesus did. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. 
fact, if you look at Revelation 13, 8, it says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew this was coming. He knew the pain was coming. He knew the separation from God was coming. He knew the cost was coming. He saw the pain coming forth. It's one thing to have, like, submit to pain when I broke my foot. It's one thing to have it happen in the moment. If I would have known that was going to happen for like a week before it happened, I probably would have never left my house, right? I probably would have done it. He knew it was coming, and he still submitted. Stepping into the water for Jesus was a humbling thing. He didn't have to enter it because he had done something wrong or because he'd done something to repent of. He entered it because he was being commissioned into this mission, and he didn't consider it beneath him. Paul actually talks about this in Philippians. Take a look, actually, I want to turn there with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. Paul talks about Jesus' submission. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count other people as more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Spoiler alert, Jesus didn't just submit here. He submitted to God the whole way through. Even though he was God, even though he deserved everyone at that baptism that day to stop whatever they were doing and serve him, he was entitled to everything, he became a servant. He humbled himself. He could have came and made demands from other people and still been called holy and right and just. But he became a servant. No task, serving no person, was beneath him. Everybody. And Paul says this mind that Jesus had, this submission that Jesus had, have this mind in yourselves too. Have this mind of being submitted to God when you feel like the things you are entitled to or the things you actually are entitled to are being stripped away from you, that your first reaction is not, how can I get this back and try to take it back for yourself, but it's actually to submit it to Christ, humble ourselves, and let him take care of it. Or people, how many, how many of us feel like there's sometimes certain people or certain tasks that are a little beneath us? We all feel that way. We do. Several years ago, uh, when I was first an intern here, I think it was about six or seven years ago now, six years ago, uh, I, uh, I was, uh, got a text from Pastor Rich. Uh, he said he needed help with an important task before we got started for the day. And I'm like, sure, I'll come out an hour early. And we, I came out to the church. He's the only one here. And I come in, and he's actually in this room right here stacking chairs. 
So I, I'm like, oh, cool, I'm, I was raised Baptist. I did a lot of chair stacking back in the day. Uh, so I, I came out and I, I helped them stack chairs. We moved them back into this room over here. And uh, then we got going on our staff meeting. But on the way, he stopped me and he says, if you ever feel something like stacking chairs is beneath you, you will never deserve to hold a microphone. Never deserve to hold a microphone. And I think a lot of us are like that. We think that way. We get this idea of entitlement, of what we think is owed us, of what we think of level of responsibility is owed to us. And then when a task comes by or a person comes by that maybe drives us nuts and we don't want to serve, we're like, that's beneath me. I'm not doing that. The whole point of Jesus, the whole point of the gospel is saying nobody's beneath you. No task is beneath you. So this morning, who are the people that God has brought into your life to steward? Or maybe the ones that uh, drive you nuts. Are we overlooking them? What are the tasks that God has brought into your life. Maybe you're getting stuff dumped on you at work that you just wish uh, somebody else was taking care of. And we humble ourselves and serve. We count other people as more significant than ourselves. See, this Jesus had this anointing at baptism and was commissioned to start his ministry. In fact, in chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus tempted in the wilderness. And then in chapter 5, he's right in. He's doing miracles, he's preaching, he's doing all this stuff. This is his commissioning service. Getting ready to go. But if you're a believer in here, how many of you identify yourself as a Christian? Right? Probably a lot of us. The moment you believed, the moment the Holy Spirit entered your life, when you were baptized into the Holy Spirit... You were commissioned. You are now in ministry. You are called. I see a lot of Christians right now, and I might have said this before, but I see a lot of Christians right now on social media or I just talk to in conversation that they're like, Jesus is coming soon. Next two, three years, three, four years. Jesus is coming soon. It's happening soon. The way the world's working, it's going to happen soon. And and that might be true. I'm not here to say one way or another. I can see evidence on both sides there. But um, if that is true, that should change the way we interact with our neighbors. If you actually, genuinely believe that, you should be on your neighbor's doorstep after church, learning to love them, learning to take care of them, learning to build that relationship with them so you can share the love of Christ with them. That should move us to action. And if it doesn't, we really have to ask a question of ourselves. Either it means you actually don't believe Jesus is coming soon and you're more upset with the political situation than you actually believe Jesus is coming soon, or you don't actually believe the gospel. He calls us into his service as his servants. See him anointed for the ministry of the kingdom and he starts that ministry and he calls us to the same. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this day. 
Father, we want to thank you for everything you did. God, I thank you that you are a God who calls us to yourself. You pick up our broken pieces. That you carry us to you. Lord, I pray for us today. If anyone in here is, is hanging on to our broken pieces still, that you help us lay those things down. God, bring people to our minds that you've called us to submit to that we don't want to submit to. Give us the ability to do that out of reverence for you. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.